Hello and welcome to this week's Golf Shape podcast coming to you hot in the heels of the 2018 Masters Tournament. The first men's major of the year has come and gone. It was uh, dramatic in many respects. Uh, we almost had some incredible comebacks and there was a lot of talking points from it. Patrick Reed in the end was the champion, maybe not the champion that people necessarily wanted to see, but he certainly deserved to win and put together a very gritty and determined performance to lead the Masters for three days and to win the green jacket and uh, become a first-time major winner. And actually, at that point, all four major winners right now, all current champions, are actually all Americans under the age of 30. So uh, in terms of the Ryder Cup, they'll be feeling quite good about that. But one guy who uh, is going to come on the podcast again, he's back after being away for a few weeks. He was off gallivanting around the United United States, although unfortunately he didn't add Augusta National to those uh, list of destinations that he ticked off, is my good friend and colleague Owen Davis, who is back with us and having came back from the United States. Um, he did say, Owen, that you weren't going to go and play golf when you were in America. Did yeah. you maintain that pledge? I did. I did. I was. I, I would like to add the Masters on, obviously. I'm not sure... Uh... Actually, my wife would have been that keen, to be honest. So she, uh, yeah, I think she was ready to come home and trekking down to Georgia to uh, to drag around a, a, a golf course on a sport that she's not that keen on. Probably wouldn't have been the best thing in the world. But uh, yeah, awesome trip to the States. But yeah, no golf, unfortunately. No golf. Lots of nice weather. So it was very tempting, especially looking at the sodden pictures of the UK back home. <laughs> so Especially when I was in Phoenix, where it was like 25 degrees, desert golf. Every time I went past the golf course, I was like, that looks nice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, didn't manage to make it out, but next time. I, I, I can just picture you sort of pressed against the window of the car, looking at the courses, thinking, oh, drooling, yeah, and drooling, tongue, tongue hanging out. <laughs> it was like one of those dogs, you know, it's one down the window, it was like one of the dogs you see, like, in the front seat of the passenger seat, just panting at the uh, at the courses we were driving by. Yeah, that's what was, yeah, <laughs> good metaphor. Uh, well, well, indeed, well, you, you started it, so okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's how you see yourself, that's okay, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so um, yeah, so I, I assume you had some withdrawal symptoms then with the, with the golf. But coming back and seeing the Masters would obviously would uh, kind of inspire you to get back out there and play. But I'm actually quite stunned that uh, Mrs. Davis doesn't like golf very much. Well, so how does yeah. that work? No, she does. I'm doing a bit of injustice. She doesn't mind it. She's not a golfer. She's not a golfer. But uh, of all the sport I managed to watch on TV or live, golf is golf is the one she'll tolerate. So I need to be thankful for that, I suppose. I think she tolerates it because of you, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful, the, the, the compromise of marriage. There we go. Um, so moving on now to uh, the Masters, which I'm sure she was captivated by as you were. Obviously, it was, uh, again, it's come and gone. It's always an interesting week. It's always It always tends to deliver a certain level of drama and excitement, and there were plenty of storylines coming into the Masters this year. So many great players were playing at their best. There were so many potential winners that would be really, really attractive in terms of a story and in terms of the fans would really enjoy seeing it. Um, and going into the last day, obviously, you know, Rory Macro was in the final pairing alongside Patrick Reed, who actually led from Friday. He had a three-shot lead, and it, again, it was kind of that rematch from the Ryder Cup in 2016. And Rory Macro, of course, was going for history. He's been in some excellent form of late, winning the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Augusta National for three days. He was he, he looked great. He was also he was playing well, but also he was scrambling well, holding putts when he had to. He was just doing everything that you think you'd had to have done to win there. And he was talking a really big game. You saw the interview on Saturday night where he was essentially saying, bring it on to Patrick Reed. But then we get to Sunday 
and it, it, it fell flat in terms of that final pairing. You know, Roy McIlroy just couldn't lay a glove on anything. Uh, he got off to a start where his tee shot was astonishingly bad in the first hole. He was extremely lucky to still find the ball and make a miraculous par from there. And then he hit two great shots on the second, the par five, had a four-foot putt for Eagle. We're thinking, right, this is it. Roy McIlroy is going to take the mantle here and really challenge Patrick Reed. He misses that putt, makes birdie, bogeys the third hole after a poor approach shot. Birdie's a fourth, but really after that, he just seemed to lose energy. I don't know what it was. He sort of fell out of it entirely, and it made things a little bit easier in that final pairing for Patrick Reed, who nonetheless had a lot to do and scrambled well. When he made, made a mistake, he almost instantly bounced back every single time, and it really is a testament to his grit and determination and the, the kind of player he is. And, of course, we also... Behind him saw an amazing surge uh, from Jordan Spieth, who was in, on the, the, the precipice of potentially playing probably the, the best final round ever, potentially to come through and win a major championship, shooting maybe 62 or something like that. And it looked possible for a while before, of course, he just narrowly missed that birdie putt on 17. Then, of course, the bogey on 18 after that tee shot into the branches. And um, but it was a thrilling run from Spieth. But, uh, and obviously, Ricky Fowler. Played well in the back nine, shot five under, one shot behind in the end, buried the last, fell just short of a playoff. I think it was a really significant week for Ricky Fowler as well. But, oh, and obviously, you know, Patrick Reed's a guy who certainly divides opinion and um, he's not the most universally popular figure we've ever had winning the Masters and so on. Um, but I think we should try and separate uh, the man from the golfer and what he achieved over the weekend. And I think certainly the way he led that tournament for three days and the way he went about his business and scrambling and, and grinding it out, there's a lot to admire about that performance. So, Owen, first of all, how would you assess your Patrick Reed's uh, performance over that weekend at Augusta to win his first major? Well, I think it was uh, it was a pretty impressive golf, wasn't it? It was pretty sublime for the first uh, three days. Didn't have his best stuff, certainly on the last day, but um, never really felt like he was going to collapse and it was going to take something... Uh, extraordinary from one of the guys behind, which obviously nearly happened to to catch him. So I think, yeah, it was it was really really impressive. I mean, he is, uh, you know, he's obviously full of, he's got a lot of self confidence. One of one of the traits that maybe doesn't uh, appeal, uh, make him appeal to other people, but um, that self confidence, that particular trait, obviously um, does him a great service in in coming and winning tournaments and winning majors. I mean, from the time that he kind of won his first event and said he was a top five player in the world when he was nowhere near that. Um, you know, obviously, he was probably badly worded and slightly misquoted, then I feel, but, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and a bit misunderstood in terms of what he was trying to say. Um, but obviously, uh, he's borne that out now. He uh, is a major champion and he won it um, impressively. It, like I said, it never looked like he was going to give up that lead um, or certainly collapse away and, and, and do a Rory or a Spieth even round, uh, round there. And lots of Greg Norman, there's loads of players that have thrown leads away around there. He never mm -hmm. really looked like it. So he made someone. Uh, you know, I challenged someone to do something very special, and obviously, two two guys very nearly did. But um, yeah, impressive stuff. Uh, it certainly was, and uh, I think there's, there's an awful lot to admire about the way he goes about his game, and uh, certainly that determination that he has and the grit. And like you say, he didn't have his best stuff on Sunday, but he did what he had to do, and his timing was good, and that those are all keys. And you know, Jack Nicholas always said, "You don't have to play perfect to win." Maybe too many guys make that mistake. And they try and play perfection and they don't quite do it. And then they feel under pressure by doing that. But Spieth, uh, sorry, Reid, I should say. Yeah, I think, you know, I think, sorry to interrupt here, I think what we can, you know, stuff we, whenever you watch a golf tournament, I think there's things you can learn from the players that are, they're playing it. And, you know, and we're lucky that we obviously watch the top 
the top players at the best uh, of their ability when they're winning tournaments. And what you could see from Patrick Reed is that it was determination, but also he didn't tighten up. He, he, he swings freely anyway, and I felt like he committed uh, to doing that throughout the round. So he was kind of just getting out of his own way quite often and, and just trying to let it happen. You could see it fighting against him. He, you know, he threatened to tighten up, and every time he just freed himself up a bit. And I thought that was that was really impressive and the key to to him winning. It was, and that's that self belief. It's just saying, right, I'm going to trust, going to trust my goal swing and let it go. Uh, and I think that's what he did really, really well in that final round. I mean, it was much easier for Fowler and Spieth to do that because if they didn't do that, they weren't never going to they were never going to catch him. But he had something to lose. So uh, I thought that was the most impressive thing about his performance on Sunday. Yeah, and it's kind of a, a side point about Reed as well. Um, obviously, people have kind of commented that the, the the galleries at Augusta weren't necessarily the most warm and supportive of him as such certainly compared to Rory McIlroy at the start, but also we, we'll talk about Rory's struggles as well, but Rory McIlroy didn't, after the start, lay a glove on him. It was a very kind of muted atmosphere because Rory wasn't doing anything. Um, so Reid had to kind of do what he did, knowing that perhaps the galleries weren't necessarily wanting him to win. They were, they were cheering on Spieth and, and particularly Fowler. You could feel that atmosphere as well. But So Reid was able to overcome that atmosphere and also... Playing with a guy like Rory McIlroy, a lot of players, you know, the particularly the major, we see it in the past where when one guy's playing well, making birdies, the other guy some sort of seems seems to feed off that atmosphere and that kind of vibe and does the same. So Reed had to do what he did, playing with somebody who wasn't really bringing any sort of atmosphere to the group. So what kind of dynamic do you think that was? Did it help him? Obviously, because Rory didn't play very well, but could it also have been a, a distraction as such as well? Because Reed would Reed would have expected Rory to come out and really hit him, but that didn't happen. So. But he still yeah. responded well to that uh, not happening. No, it didn't help him at all. I think I think that's another impressive thing that he won despite that happening. You only got to look at the Open last year where Mixon and Stenson just went away from everybody, mm-hmm. feeding off each other and feeding off the crowd. That could have happened with uh, Reed and McElroy. I think the thing is, I mean, someone like I think Spieth and um, uh, Spieth and Fowler were maybe feeding off each other. Although they were a couple of groups apart, you know the. the the sound reverberates around there so much. They were almost kind of egging each other on, I think. Yeah. Um, and and like I say, Reed was already probably in slightly defensive in mode. But yeah, I don't think it helped at all. And it's it, like you say, it's impressive that you know there's people rooting against him um, certainly and in that crowd, which is amazing because he's from that part of America. Um, you know, to, to win there just shows his his personality and his determination and. Um, you know his self belief that he can he can win through that adversity. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a very good point. And uh, yeah, again, you know, people it's been well documented elsewhere the stories about Patrick Reed and some of the history he has. And uh, again, there's two sides to every story. And uh, maybe from now on, as a golfer, there's lots to admire about him. And maybe going going into the future, perhaps he'll be defined now as not just being the brash Ryder Cup guy. He's a Masters champion, and uh, that's something that can never be taken away from him. And he certainly has the game and the mentality to go and add to that in the future. So, yeah, very impressive when he deserved it. And uh, very few guys lead after three days and go on to win. So um, in the circumstances he did to fend off, obviously, the chasing pack was uh, very impressive. But looking at, you know, I mentioned Rory McIlroy there, who we, we really felt... Was good. This felt like his time, as, and I think he even thought that himself. On going into Sunday, even though he was three shots behind, he still felt that he could make up that ground very quickly. And of course, he did actually make up a shot on Reed immediately on the first hole, uh, with, with Reed bogey in that hole and, and McRoy making that amazing par. 
But it did seem to me that uh, he seemed to lack a bit of energy. Uh, it was a case of after he missed that eagle putt on, on, on the second, he bogeyed third, the third, came back for birdie on the fourth. But really after that, he just didn't do anything. And he seemed to an extent to almost give up very easily. Um, so he looked out of, obviously his putting had been superb all week. Um, it deserted him. On Sunday, he hadn't missed a putt inside five feet all week until Sunday, where he missed several. But also, he was missing uh, drives out to the right consistently. His iron shots weren't as, as pure as what they had been all week. So, is it, obviously, Rory McIlroy is a great champion. He's a, one of the all-time great sports people from this from the, the United Kingdom and Ireland. And um, But we felt it was going to be his kind of surge towards history on Sunday, but it just didn't happen. So... When it comes to Rory, it's obviously people can have bad days at the office, but was it a case, do you think, that the pressure, the expectations he put on himself, that he, he couldn't handle him? What were your impressions of, of Rory's performance on Sunday? And were you as shocked as I was that he played so kind of meekly in that final round? I'm quite shocked he played meekly, I have to say. I, I didn't, yeah, there wasn't a lot of fight there, was there? But I think he's, I know he's won recently, but he's had such a tough time of it. Um, of of late over the last kind of year or so, eighteen months, that I think this is just a product of his confidence being still quite low. I know, I know, I know he's a great golfer. I know he's top ten in the world golfer. And I know um, that, that he's capable of winning majors by miles and that sort of stuff. But I think it was a product of he was on his game the first three days. He was there. He was in control. And it's almost like he, he hit that drive on the first, and he missed that putt on the second. And those self-doubts, those that lack of confidence that's a product of the last couple of years, 18 months, crept in. And he mm-hmm. kind of just knew it wasn't there. Yeah. I think I think he knew it wasn't there. And that's what's different between him and Spieth. Um, when, you know, McElroy, when when he's on, he's on and he knows he's on and he knows he's the best player there, full stop. And I think when, when it goes, he knows that he's going to struggle with the putter he knows he's going to struggle with his game a little bit and his timing. He seems to tighten up his timing went. I think Spieth is the only player that I know that can feel that way and just turn it around. And that's what he did at the Open last year. Mm-hmm. You know, he was gone. He was in the position that McElroy was in halfway through the round at the Open last year. And he just decided that he was going to get out of his own way. He was going to get on with it. Um, and he was he was not going to let that happen. I don't think McElroy has that ability. I don't think very many players in history have had that ability, which, you know, and I think that's what happened. He just, all those self-doubts crept in and and he kind of just resigned himself to saying, well, I'm probably not mentally strong enough to come overcome that. That's a strange thing to say about one of the, you know, potentially all-time great players, but that's kind of the way, the impression I got of it, uh, certainly. So uh, it's hard to know. Only he will know whether that's true or not, but um, that's certainly, you know, my opinion on what, on what happened. And, um, you know, maybe he needs another six months of playing like he did uh, recently. And, and if he's in that position in the major, those doubts won't creep in as much and he'll be able to overcome that. But uh, certainly didn't look like it in the Masters. He was, it was, needs to be right on his game to win one now, I think. Yeah, it, it was very odd to watch. And I don't think anyone really expected that. You know, obviously, Reid had the advantage. He might have still went on to win. But we really expected Roy to have a go at him. And it just didn't happen. It was very odd. I think of the top 30 players on the leaderboard, only two of them shot over par on the final day. And of course, Rory was two over for the day 74. So that was a, a real shock. But also, you mentioned obviously going, going forward. And Rory, of course, this is the one major he hasn't won. But it's also the one major that's played at the same golf course every year. So you have 
positive memories and negative memories. Even Spieth spoke about that, where obviously he has has had great success there. We had that disaster in 2016, and he mentioned that he takes great confidence from that golf course, but also there's still those demons in the back of his mind. So when, when if Rory gets into this position again, as we think he's certainly capable of doing so over the next few years, we know what happened in 2011, but it's a very different Roy McIlroy then. He was very young at the time. He came back from there, won the US Open, had a great career in the years since then. But we all felt he was a different player uh, this time. He, he talked a different game. He, he felt different himself, but it just didn't happen. So do you think, you know, obviously, I, I guess it goes without saying that it's the last major he, he has to win. But because of that dynamic of it being at the same golf course, do you think, therefore, it's going to be the hardest one for him to win? Well, yeah, I think so now because I think he he personally is now placing so much emphasis uh, on that. I mean, the career Grand Slam, you know, it, it kind of matters, but it doesn't matter that much. If he won, you know, six six US Opens, six Opens, and six US PGAs, he'd still have the same amount of majors as Nicholas, and we'd be talking about <laughs> him as the best of all time, regardless of whether he won the Masters or not. Um, you know, so he, he wants it really bad. Um you know, and the fact that you do go back every year, and um, you can see some of those players that have now faded away, even the Westwoods and stuff, not getting to go back. I think that they're just desperate to win around that place, mm-hmm. uh, just because it is so special to go back every year, and and what comes with it as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, yeah, he's just desperate for it. So that's going to make it harder for him, um, certainly. But um, you know, he'd be working with a psychologist to to, to kind of figure that one out and. Um, that's just putting extra pressure on you, and it's that fear of failure getting in his in his way. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a tough one for him going forward. But it just—I mean—he's got to take the positives. Like, there's there's loads and loads of positives for for McElroy. He's just won. He was in a position to win the Masters again. Um, you know, it's a big upward curve for him, despite that last day. It's you know, it's a it's kind of like a five step forward, one step back at the moment. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't overly place uh, emphasis on this right now. But I think it's confidence thing more than anything. Yeah, well, well, we saw how how he re- responded to that collapse he had seven years ago, and obviously winning the U.S. Open. So Rory maybe will go on the rest of this year and and try and bounce back. But yeah, I think there will be some uh, a bit of soul searching after that. Um, it'll be hard to put that into perspective after what happened. I think he, he expected so much more of himself. Maybe he expected too much. Maybe that was uh, too many expectations on himself. And when he felt, like you say, the timing wasn't there of his swing. Maybe that little, little bit of tension there might have made a difference, and perhaps he panicked to some extent. Um, yeah, who I knows? Think it's- Sorry, Kevin. It's, it's tough. Like I mean, Nicholas won eighteen majors. He finished second in twenty and third in I don't know how many again. So, if you're going to win majors, a bit like Spieth's had now, mm-hmm. uh, you know he's won three as in he's he's come second in four or something. Or and um, you're going to have a lot of close calls. Yeah. So I don't think you know. Although it was it was disappointing the way Rory played, and I think more so mentally than than the way his game was. Um, He's going to have lots of. If he's going to win eight majors in his career or six majors in his career, he's going to have twelve or fourteen second and thirds. I think Woods had Woods has had a lot as well, hasn't he? So mm-hmm. certainly top fours and threes. He's had absolutely tons and tons of them. So you're going to have a lot of close close calls. So you know, golf's a tough game. Only one guy can win. Um, so you know, you're going to have you're going to have these setbacks. So I don't think we should read a massive amount into 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 this. And it's you know, when you look at his end of his career. Um, you know, it'd be impressive that he's had these second and third. So I, I, I just think it's it's nothing unusual for great players to be doing 
finishing in the positions that he's finishing in, I don't think it's a big setback necessarily. No, that's a very good point. And uh, Jack Nicholas himself said that golf's a very unique sport in that you are the best player if you win 25% of the time. So that's a lot of losing, if you like, um, yeah, exactly. in golf, which is, a, again, an interesting kind of dynamic, which really only golf has compared to any other sport. Um, so, yeah, hopefully Ray McRae comes back this year, plays well, wins again. I'm sure he will. And then obviously coming to Augusta again next year will be fascinating to see if he gets back into this position. But you mentioned, obviously, Jordan Spieth. It would be remiss not to talk about him because obviously he had a great start on Thursday. He fell back in the second round. But yesterday, oh, sorry, on Sunday, he completed just what was a, a miraculous uh, final round, really, you know, getting right back into the mix, starting the day nine shots behind Reed And Spieth, it just, he has this amazing ability to just make these things happen. It, it is a, a, an element of genius. So few players have it throughout history, this kind of intangible ability to sort of pull out the shots at the right moment and to just push himself to make the whole putts from all sorts of distances and hit some great iron shots at times. It was just an incredible round. And, of course, he ultimately tied the lead at one point, which was incredible from where he was. Then, of course, he didn't birdie 17, hit that tee shot on 18, which I've got to say I'm surprised but that doesn't happen more often considering how tight that is off that tee. Hitting the branch, obviously, he didn't quite make par, which is a little bit disappointing, but a final round of 64 was incredible. But... You look for his round, you know, he had chances as well. He missed a, a great birdie chance on seven, probably the best of the day. Missed that eagle putt in 13, of course. Was very unlucky on the birdie 17. And, of course, the 18th. So it could have very easily been... We, we, we very nearly witnessed why I think would have gone down as the best final round ever to win a major. And uh, it would have been extraordinary. But he certainly really enlivened... Um, the event and gave it a, a real sense of life on Sunday and really kept us all captivated because it was an incredible performance. And you mentioned the Open last year and what happened there and the way he fell back and then just responded with just an astonishing barrage of, of scores on the back nine to beat Kutcher. So Spieth is a very rare, rare, rare thing. And um, so just uh, talk through just as a, in terms of his mentality and just the way he has his mental approach to the game and just how he's able to bounce back from setbacks and we saw the way he actually responded when he he hit the green on the 12th and uh, after what's happened there before he sort of laughed about it then he goes up and holds the putt from you know from the fringe and um he does these amazing things and i always think that so much about sport at the highest level is about timing doing things at the right moment and i'm not sure there's a player we have of, of this current generation who is anywhere near as effective at that, as Jordan Spieth, he just somehow has to, has this ability to do things at the right moment and achieve so much. So you got to say that um, there's an awful lot to admire about him. But just, did you think at any point that the impossible was going to happen? The Spieth was actually going to come through and win? Because I thought at one point it was going to happen. It, it would have been something else, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I wish he'd birdied the last to win by one. That would have been incredible, wouldn't it? And he was a bit unlucky with the drive. He obviously hates that tee shot. Um, and that was the rarity of that round, him him struggling uh, with something, you know, with something mentally on that course. Um, I think he's just the, you know, I've talked a bit obviously about psychology. I'm not a goal psychologist by any any means, but I keep talking about getting out your own way. And I think what I mean by that is he doesn't let negative thoughts um, get into his head. He doesn't even let positive thoughts get into his head. He just reacts. And I think he chooses the club and then he just lets it go and he lets his putts go when he's in this sort of frame of mind. And I think he's really a rare talent in being 
able to do that. He's obviously very focused. I mean, Tiger Woods talks about getting in his zone. I think he gets in a, in a zone. And I think what's unique about him and, you know, and golf in general is being able to do that over a five, five and a half hour round. You've got to be able to switch on and off and on and off. And I think he's, he's probably the best at doing that. At kind of, you could see that on 12, he has to switch on to hit the green. He's obviously got big problems with that tee shot in the final round. He's hit a good shot in there. He's then relaxed, switched off, and then switched back on again and gone back into the zone and hold the putt. And I think he's almost got a, a unique ability. The more the pressure grows, the more the situation happens, the more he mentally gets into that state where he can just react to the target. And, you know, the adrenaline and your, the body's ability to, to react to targets and and do it right and, and hit great shots kicks in. So I think, yeah, he's just very unique mentally. Um, you know, he obviously doesn't necessarily hit the ball uh, better than anyone else on tour. Far from it. He doesn't chip better. He's a great pitcher, don't get me wrong, but he does. you wouldn't say he's like the best pitcher and chipper by miles and miles. He's not the best putter by miles and miles, generally. As unlike people say, he's obviously struggled with his putting this year. Mm-hmm. But he's the best putter on the right occasion in the world, full stop. When it, when it means something, when he really wants to hold it, when he really needs to hold it, he has this ability just to... Uh, to zero in on the target, let it let his body react to it and and hold the putts, and that's when you play your best golf. And he's just got the best he's got the best ability since Woods, I think, to play his best golf, um, even when he hasn't got it. And that's and you can only do that through naturally reacting to things. So um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, he certainly, he's an amazing character. He is. Yeah. Lots of admirer there with, with Spieth. I, I'm a huge fan of watching him. I think he's, he's just incredible. And uh, I love watching people who just uh, thrive in those situations. And he does that. And you're going to feel that he's going to be a... You know, I've always said that you compare him to Justin Thomas, who he played with on Sunday. He's a great pal, of course. And I've always felt that Thomas is someone who might win more PGA Tour events. But when it comes to the majors... Spieth's the guy. I mean, he just has that ability to get in that situation time and time again. And when you always feel, like you say, under pressure, he's just a... But, he's, but again, he's also had his um, mistakes and he's had his demons, obviously, at Augusta, but he's able, like you say, to push that to the side, and we, which is amazing. I and mean, we forget he is still only 24 years old, which is incredible. But uh, he has something else. And you mentioned Tiger there. And, of course, Tiger also said that there were guys on tour who were better drivers than him, better iron players, better putters, had better short games. But he was able to bring it all together and do it all at the right moments, and that's what separates those guys from the pack. Because everybody on tour hits the ball great, they can all putt great, do everything great. What makes the greats great? Well, it's that intangible, and Spieth has that in spades. But one guy, Owen, who has obviously a lot of talent and has been threatening for a while is Ricky Fowler. Obviously, he's perhaps some people might say he's been more style than substance over the years. Well, I think they have a different impression of him here in the UK, considering his performances in the Open through the years, winning the Scottish Open and so on, winning in Abu Dhabi. And of course, he had that amazing win three years ago at the Players' Championship where he finished just incredibly. But further still, when it comes to majors, he hasn't got there. He's sort of fallen behind his kind of generation of friends who seem to keep winning. You know, Fowler's always this guy who's always in the 18th green Certainly congratulating the winner, but he's never had that himself. And everyone speaks very highly of him. And uh, as a person, he's a, even hugged uh, Patrick Reed afterwards as well. So he's always the guy who's there to support his, his friends and his contemporaries. But I think it was a very significant weekend for him. In the past, fellas got into good positions and fallen away last year. He was one shot off the lead held by Garcia and Rose going into the last day. And he shot 76 and fell out of things entirely. A year later, he came back in, 65 on Sunday, Saturday, then a 67 yesterday after quite an insipid start. He was one over after seven, 
then bounced back with six birdies. Birdie the last to kind of force Reed to finish off strongly. So it seemed like a different Ricky Fowler. And afterwards, he said he now feels that he is genuinely ready to win a major. His, his Butch Harmon talked about it on television, his coach, about how they were trying to instill in him a focus, uh, stay in his process under pressure, don't get ahead of himself on the final day of a, of a major and so on. So Ricky Fowler is a guy who, he's a, in terms of profile and popularity, he's up there with the, the top guys. And uh, he maybe the status doesn't quite match his resume in terms of wins. But I certainly feel it right now. I certainly feel that Ricky Fowler is more likely from here to go on to win a major than what he was last week. So how do you feel about Ricky Fowler going forward? Do you think now he's he's primed to finally cross that line and perhaps add the major that maybe his ability would suggest that he merits? Yeah, I think so. And I think um, he's certainly proven uh, that he can come from behind to win. It'd be a different matter if he's four shots in the lead. Mm. Uh, that would be a different scenario. But I think he's proved... He doesn't have to prove anything to us. He's a great. He's a great player. He's won. Maybe should have won more. But um, yeah. you know, I think yeah, there is that argument with his with his fashion that he's you know he's been a bit more style and substance, like you said. But you know, in the end, he's been a top top player for quite a long time mm-hmm. now. So you don't do that without results. I mean, there's nowhere to hide in golf. So yeah. he's he's a great player, and he he does need to just put that final nail in the coffin and win a major. But I think for him, the biggest thing you know, he's proved it to himself that he can play well on Sunday, that he can step up. Uh, and he didn't know that Reed wasn't going to mess up, you know, a hole at the end. I mean, Reed, if he hadn't hit the pin on 17 and stopped that ball, yes. that would have been off the other side of the green. He was he was probably going to make bogey. And Fowler didn't know that at the time, you know, he could have thinking he's got to birdie the last to get in a playoff, and he did that. So mm-hmm. I think, um, again, when it comes down to this back nine on, on a major, it, it is all, all mental. And, you know, he was able to to step up to the plate for the first time on a Sunday uh, and put himself in a position where he thought he might win. Uh, he didn't know that, you know, he could easily have thought, if I buried the last hole here, I'm in a playoff or I'm going to win. Yeah. So, and he went ahead and did it. So I think it was, it was super impressive uh, in that regard. So, yeah, he's a different player now, for certain. Yeah, I think he is too. And I think he'll go on and uh, have another good chance to win a major. Maybe even this year, he's a big fan of Shinnecock Hills, US Open venue. And he's also obviously played well in the Open Championship in the past. And he enjoys Lynx Golf and embraces that challenge. So I'm sure he'll enjoy Carnoustie when he gets there in July. So yeah, Ricky Fowler, a lot to admire about him. And uh, maybe this is going to be the uh, a bit of a late coming in terms of a major win for him. But that's happened before. Look at Phil Mickelson. So I think Fowler, Fowler, Fowler's time seems more likely now to happen than it did before. But before we move on, just quickly, Owen, we have to quickly mention... Uh, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, who we had a bit of a nostalgia fest this year so far, where we're obsessed. Actually, society as a whole is obsessed with the past. Everyone loves the 80s. Don't know why, but they do. They all love the 80s. So everywhere you look, there's references to the 80s everywhere, right? So we all love the past. We all want to sort of harken back to a, a simpler time. And I think Tiger and Phil, given their records at Augusta and the way... Phil won this year in Mexico. The way Tigers come back and exceeded expectations, we felt that they had a genuine chance of winning the Masters, but of course they were both ultimately miles away from doing so. And here's a point I want to raise to you about that, Owen. Maybe Tiger and Phil, they're, they're still great players. They can still win events, maybe even majors. But I'm actually not sure that Augusta National is the course for them anymore. Because Augusta National is a very different golf course than what it was when they won there a decade ago and longer than that. It's tighter now than before. There's more trees. It's narrower in places. And they're, frankly, not the same golfers as what they were 10, 15 years ago. So how do you feel? In the end, our Tiger, did we 
put too much emphasis on Tiger and Phil? Do we put too much hype into them? Are their days of winning a Masters over? What do you think? Uh, I think Mickelson's are. <laughs> I don't know with Woods. I think Woods is so hard to predict now. Yeah. Uh, we've got so little data, if you like, to go on. Uh, and if anything, he's on the upper curve. And that Masters performance, while he didn't play very well, is probably part of that upward curve. Whereas, I, you know, it's it's hard to argue that Mickelson's not on more of a downward curve. Yeah, he had a blip where he won, he won the other week, but he's, you know, he's quite a bit older than Woods, five years older, yep. six years older than Woods. Um, he's he's on that downward curve. So, I think with Woods, it's a lot harder to say that he won't win there. And Woods has Woods has got the power um, in it back in his swing, and he actually drove the ball very well. It was actually his iron play that was terrible. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and he didn't putt that great. I don't think. Uh, uh, round Augusta this year. So it's very, very difficult to predict with Woods. Woods maybe has two or three more goes at it before age becomes a, a factor. You might get something. Wouldn't surprise me if Woods wins it at 46, the same as Nicholas, and it's all kind of, it all kind of sets in place. History works that way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, much harder to predict with Woods. I don't know is the answer with him, but I, I'm not sure Mickelson's going to step up and uh, and win it again. He seems that he just doesn't quite the game's the game's not there. I don't, I don't think anyway. Yeah, it, it just seemed to me that we we talked an awful lot about the older guys, and for me this weekend, the younger guys kind of shut the door on them in many respects. You know, you know, obviously Reed, Fowler, Spieth, those kind of guys. It's like, it was like, yeah, you know, we're talking about the older guys, but the younger guys, they they are the players of today, and they're there for a reason. And I think they sort of showed why they've won the last you know so many majors now. All, all four majors are now held by Americans under the age of thirty. So there's that new generation. Yeah, I think- I think, you know, if you look at it, I wasn't surprised where Mickelson finished. Mm-hmm. I was slightly surprised where Woods finished. So, you know, I, I, I thought Woods would do better and, I, and I'm not surprised at what Mickelson did. So I kind of look at that, um, just your kind of first reaction to that, the way Woods was playing, you know, that makes me think he's, you know, just instinctively, he's probably got more of a chance going going forward. So, I, yeah, I, it's still progression. It's not a surprise. It'd be really interesting to see how Woods, if Woods is in the mix in the next next three majors. It'd be really, really interesting. And he he has to win this year now. He can't show this much promise over the previous tournaments and not get a victory under his belt because that really will stall him. But it's amazing that we're even talking in those terms, you know, compared to what we were six months ago. You know, I don't know whether he finished like tied 30th or something, um, you know, and we're talking that as being a, a disappointment uh, in some ways for him or a surprise, not so disappointment. I don't think it's a disappointment. I think he'll be fairly positive about it, but a surprise. So who thought we would have been saying that six months ago? So, Absolutely. You know. Yeah, that's it. And I think in the end, compared to where he was, it's incredible he's back playing and we're talking about him in that regard. And in the end, though, even though he has exceeded expectations, perhaps we did, we did kind of forget that it's still very early days in this comeback. I and mean, maybe we can't judge Tiger Woods from the Florida swing. Maybe it has to be over a, a wider period of time. Maybe yeah. by the end of the season, we can really say if Tiger Woods can get back to being a real contender in majors. Who knows? He may have even won a major by the end of this this year. And wouldn't that be a story? So, yes, I think the, the younger guys ruled this week. But whether they do so in future, we'll have to wait and see. But moving on from the Masters now, and actually, obviously, if you've watched the Masters, we all want to go there. Owen's been everywhere in the world, apart from the Masters, of course. So, and I have never been anywhere. So, I, I never leave my house. So, what are going to say? So, we are. Well, I am not very well travelled. Owen has travelled not to Augusta. It's kind of a holy grail for golfers on everybody's proverbial bucket lists, as they say, the cliches. And um, 
And again, obviously, every year we think, well, could we get there next year? And it's actually easier than you may think. People will know nowadays that there's a, a ballot for tickets Augusta National puts out every year. Anyone can go and enter. Obviously, it's very competitive, but people do come out of it. I know folk who have been successful in the past, and you can go there and experience a tournament, obviously arranging your own travel and accommodation, all that sort of thing. And tickets are very well priced. But obviously, it's not a guarantee. And if you decided that maybe... Yeah, I need to go to the Masters next year. I can't wait any longer. You know, the world may blow up by then, so we need to go. We need to go next year. If you want to do that, uh, the golf travel companies nowadays have amazing packages, and one of those companies is GolfBreaks.com, who have a succession of packages available to the Masters next year, uh, from from daily from practice day tickets, par free to full tournament packages, accommodation, flights, travel. Uh, even some golf thrown in there too, potentially. And also they can add in a variety of different regions and destinations as well. So we actually have a full package tailored to you and uh, complete what would be a, certainly a dream once-in-a-lifetime trip for anybody. So if you want to go and experience the Masters, get saving up, and uh, and you can certainly go there. But to that end, uh, earlier today, I spoke with uh, Katie Ber- Berman from golfbreaks.com about the packages that they have available there and what they, what you can do and so on, how you go about it and what the experience is like going to the Masters for anybody and uh, does it match expectations? I think the answer is certainly yes. So let's play that interview with Katie Berman from golfbreaks.com. So Katie, welcome uh, to the Golf Shake podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for um, inviting me. Yes, and I hear you just came back from uh, Augusta, the Masters, uh, yesterday. So uh, what was that journey like and how was your trip there yourself? It was it was a really good trip. We um, we had a really good time seeing um, clients and then also planning for for next year. It was um, weather was a bit iffy across the week, but uh, we, yeah, as I said, we got back we got back yesterday, so sl- slightly jet lagged, but I've, I'm feeling okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. And uh, yeah, so obviously you you were at the Masters, and obviously the clients were there for golf breaks were there too. And uh, we saw it all on television from here in the UK. And um, the weather was a little bit iffy, I think, on the Saturday particularly, but it seemed okay for the most part uh, other times in the week. Um, so when people go to the Masters tournament, and obviously it's, it's a big deal for a lot of golfers, it's kind of like a holy grail sort of thing. It's on their bucket lists and all the cliches and all that sort of thing. Uh, but when they get there, and you've been there a couple of times now, so what is, when you get there and you step onto the grounds and you see all the the famous kind of shots everyone's seen before, the images and so on, you see that in person. So what are what were your impressions and also what are the kind of general impressions from the clients themselves that when they get to the Masters, they see, see Augusta National, how, how are their impressions compared to their expectations and so on? I think, as you said, most golfers, every golfer dreams about it their whole life. And I think it just doesn't disappoint. I think when you you reach those gates and they say, welcome to the Masters, even though you've known for however long that you're going, you just, you greet those, 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 um, the, the, the guys at the gate and you just, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel real. And you just, um, walk through and the the atmosphere is unbelievable it no matter how much you've built that up over your over your golfing life it does not disappoint and the clients mm. the clients um that we've had go in the past all say exactly the same thing that no one has had any um bad times that once they've stepped in those gates they are just um having an absolute uh, a, a you know lifetime experience that they they will remember for the rest of their lives and it's just it's it, you just walk in and the atmosphere is is unbelievable and it's it just is it, it it's above what you expect it's hard to describe 
Yeah, everyone I've spoken to who's been there, and I, ha- I haven't been there, unfortunately, perhaps after going and book a, a trip with golf breaks. But um, yeah, everyone who goes there always says to me that you know it is the best run sort of golf tournament sporting event I've ever seen. And it has a wonderful sort of feel and atmosphere to it. And um, yeah, I guess everybody who's there is excited to be there. So I think that's kind of infectious it for is, everybody. Yeah. So yeah, it must be a, an incredible place to go to. And obviously at Golf Breaks, you're helping people get there and, and achieve those dreams. So when people come to Golf Breaks, and obviously getting to the Masters, there's always seemed, I think people in the past feared it was quite difficult to get to and exclusive. And nowadays it's much easier to get to. Obviously there's different ways of getting there. People can get there through their, their own accord by the, the tournament ticket ballot but also obviously through companies like golf breaks can take them there with packages that are tailor-made for them and uh, tailored to their needs and what they want and they can create some quite impressive trips if you look at the i've been reading the landing page for golf breaks and uh, there's so many different packages and so on but but katie looking at the the process of when say i came to golf breaks uh wanting to go to the masters next year so what is the the process like in terms of arranging that trip and, and dealing with you guys and obviously in terms of sorting out accommodation, hospitality, tickets, all these different things that you can get there. So what is the, the process like for a client coming to Golf Breaks who wants to go to the Masters? I think first things first, when when um, a client speaks to um, one of our team about first attending the Masters, I think the first off they have been, they know what to expect, they know the area having that knowledge if, if, if it's once in a lifetime trip you want to get the most sort of education of, of what you to help you make your decisions um i think the first-hand knowledge of the 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 experts that are, that are booking those um really helps i think the mm-hmm. second thing is like you said about tailoring the experience and it is a once in a lifetime trip for some people it's they'll only go once and they want to do it how they want to um and everyone has a different idea and and, and that's that's the Another important thing is that that the trips can be tailored to um, to that person depending on what they want and um, the knowledge of the golf courses locally, whether that's, you know, um, there's quite a few golf courses just within sort of 20 minutes of, of Augusta. Um, so whether adding on golf or the hospitality, um, uh, including that as well. And, and, and as you said earlier, mentioning adding on um, additional trips to anywhere really in the US and kind of mm-hmm. really tailoring it to what they want. So I think um, that knowledge and and, and that um, flexibility is, is really important. Yeah, it certainly is. And you mentioned there the golf courses in the local area and obviously Augusta National being the iconic venue is somewhat uh, dwarfs the other ones in terms of uh, mm-hmm fame and so on people who aren't too aware of the other courses in uh, the augusta area but there's certainly plenty of them and obviously through golf breaks packages you can actually add rounds of golf to your trip and it'll make it a really all-round experience so katie talk through some of the courses in the area that you can go and play ones that perhaps people won't know too well uh, in the uk there's there's quite a few popular courses um all as i said all within 20 or 30 minutes away so i'd say the staples of the week and the ones that um we we do send more clients to would be um, places like Jones Creek, um, River Club, Sage Valley, um, Reserve Club, um, and Mount Vin- 
uh, vintage. So there's 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 so many options depending on kind of budgets and um, and depending on which days you're going to watch the Masters uh, and you're going into the grounds, kind of flexibility on where those tee times are and and things like that. So um, you're also within even within an hour, which isn't isn't a huge drive. You've also got got plenty more options as well. So I'd say those ones would be the would be the um, sort of staple uh, Masters week uh, golf courses that are they're all within 20 minutes away mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and, and certainly there's an option there for anyone who wants to add some golf to their their time in augusta itself and uh, there, there are plenty of golf courses in the local area and not just uh, augusta national but unfortunately i don't think you can get a, get a tea time on augusta national so that's one thing that golf breaks will have to try and offer one day but <laughs> not very likely I don't think. <laughs> it is it is possible it is possible it's just uh it is just it is a little bit rare but it is possible <laughs> oh there you go there's a bit of hope there so that's something uh, keeping your dreams alive but, uh, so obviously in the wider area as well um obviously if people want to have a an all-round experience of the of the town of, of the of the area itself and um so in terms of uh, augusta itself and atlanta nearby what are the the places to go and see and visit uh, out with uh, the golf if you're not playing golf or going to watch the masters uh, so what is the local area like in georgia and uh, what are the sort of the main places to go and visit if you're spending a, a significant period of time there I think um, in terms of if you're going to the Masters and you, you want to do a few things outside of just the golf, um, Columbia is quite a good option for that. It's a university town. And so the the um, the town is, is, is very nice. It's got um, really good uh, nightlife, um, lots of museums. The music scene's really good. So I would say um, Columbia is a really good place uh, as well, only being an hour away from Augusta as well but you also get all that other other experience around um, around the Gulf as well um, uh, hotels are great and as I said nightlife and restaurants and and, and museums and, and things like that so that would be one um, obviously a lot of people do want to just experience Augusta if they're there but there are there are mm-hmm. obviously plenty of options around um, outside of outside of that as well so yeah, and also, and uh, on the Golf Breaks website, there I'll be reading it, and it says that you can extend your package, uh, expand it to take in some other destinations as well. So if you're over uh, for the Masters, you can actually go and experience some great destinations that are very popular with golfers, like uh, Myrtle Beach, uh, Hilton Head, um, where actually the PGA Tour is having their annual tournament uh, there this week, and also Kiowa Islands. These, these are all in the southeast of of united states but they're all some of the most highly regarded uh, golf destinations in in the country so katie talk through that process of if i was going to the masters and i wanted to add say a trip to myrtle beach alongside it so what would that entail and uh, would you if someone wants to obviously go to the united states and then try and experience some great golf and some great destinations as well would you recommend that they actually extend extend their masters package and add in one of these uh, great locations I would say so. I think um, the clients that we had this year, a lot of them had add-on um, trips like Myrtle Beach, Kiowa, um, and Hilton Head, as you mentioned. And and they had been to the Masters first, got themselves really excited mm-hmm. about obviously the tournament, and then had got the buzz, and they just wanted to go and play some fantastic courses um, of, of straight off of um, watching watching those players uh, at Augusta. So I think mm-hmm. that's a great option to add on, as you said, any of those trips budget dependent you know the options are, are are really really sort of endless really if you want to add on a different trip to um to the augusta trip as well so instead of kind of listing all of these trips i think if 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 someone has another thing they want to tick off their list and a place they want to visit 
we can absolutely look look at that and whether that's before or after the Augusta trip, it's definitely worth doing whilst you're over there. So um, yeah, there's plenty of options there as well. And that was Katie Barron from golfbreaks.com there. As you can probably detect by the abrupt uh, cutting off from her there, we had a few technical problems, unfortunately, but I think you got the gist of what the packages are available there for the Masters. The, you can go and play Myrtle Beach, Hilton Head, uh, Kiowa Island as well as going to the Masters. There's courses in the local Augusta area too, and a lot of attractions in that local uh, area in Georgia, Atlanta and so on, uh, Columbia as well. And obviously going to the Masters, if you want, just want to do that then, you can do that, and the, these experiences are now tailored for you. There's hospitality, accommodation. They look after you very well, and they can really make a, a dream come true. So I'm sure Owen will be looking for a discount uh, for next year doing that. So, And I must quickly mention that golfbreaks.com do also have a, now several packages to a multiple number of tournaments across the world. Uh, you can go and experience the Open Championship at Carnoustie, the Ryder Cup at the Golf National, the Solheim Cup, the Players' Championship, the Phoenix Open, uh, the Portugal Masters, all these events, you can actually go there uh, on site, get tickets, accommodation, golf around it for yourself too. So there's a lot of stuff to go and check out there. So go and check that out for uh, golfbreaks.com for going to the Masters or going uh, to any tournament or even just any sort of golf trip because uh, this is the golf season. It's time to get out there and playing and maybe even go for a nice golf uh, break somewhere. So Owen, now you're probably salivating having heard all about uh, going to the Masters next year. Uh, who knows? It's something. Maybe we should do it together, me and you, have a podcast yeah. from Augusta. Wouldn't that be nice? We could do that. Yeah, I, I know what will happen. We'll go. We'll go in that press draw, Kieran. We'll get a we'll get a press pass, and then you get drawn out to play, and I won't, and then I'll just never speak to you again. No, <laughs> can I, can, that's probably. Can I just can I just sit back and just marinate in the beauty of that thought? Because that would. <laughs> I think that would, who knows perhaps you could be my caddy you never know I could get you as a caddy you can wear the boiler suit I tell you alright if you're going to play Augusta National I'll caddy for you how's that for a deal <laughs> that, wouldn't that be a podcast that would be worth listening to I'm worried about how many balls I might have to carry around uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 enough of that enough of that, enough of that. <laughs> that chat I haven't, I haven't swung a club for six months but I tell you what give me a couple of weeks and I'll be I'll be out there I'll be crenshawing it around Augusta National shooting 90 odd but there we are but um, it would be obviously an incredible experience actually a lot of the press guys did actually of course enjoy playing Augusta on Monday you know the, the lucky sods that they are so yes yeah, so you want to go to the Masters then uh, it's easier than you may think um, obviously when I touched on there we're now the Masters is kind of the unofficial beginning of the golf season in the UK we've had pretty well documented some pretty rubbish weather all winter and into early spring around the UK but things are looking up and to that end, we on golf shit. We also obviously have we've just had the Made the Score Challenge uh, with Under Armour. That was a big success. People got involved in that and and tracked their scores and stats, and also shared their images in social media. You can see the best of those on the website. So we'll quickly talk about Made the Score and and what that was about last month and uh, what what people took from that uh, challenge uh, over March. Sure. I mean, uh, Made Score was really uh, designed to, uh, along with Under Armour, who are very much a performance brand, to get you ready for the season. Uh, obviously, focused in quite a bit on their shoe, which Spieth was wearing at the Masters. Uh, and I had a very interesting time with them actually going to look at how shoes make a difference to your game uh, and uh, how much stability you can get through them and actually how much force and power you can create off the back of just having a very stable golf shoe. Uh, and I'll have a video up on site very soon for that. So have a look out for that on Goal Shake in the next week or so. Uh, but yeah, so that was a very successful challenge. Lots of golfers took part. Obviously, the weather in terms of trying to get people out there playing was a big, big challenge in the UK. Uh, there's been lots and lots of golf courses shut. It's been a tough time 
uh, in the UK and across Europe. So um, it, it was successful um, and it was great to see so many guys uh, post their pictures and take part and really step up to the challenge. But we have something new here. We do indeed. Do you want me to talk about oh, that why, why not indeed? <laughs> yes, throughout April we have yeah. the Connect With Your Game Challenge uh, alongside um, Cobra Golf as well. And, of course, people will know that they have um, this special Cobra, uh, sorry, this Connect technology throughout their clubs nowadays, which obviously track your game and so on. It's very innovative in tracking your stats and your numbers and all this sort of thing and trying to improve your game through that. And much of the challenge is built around that. So, obviously, if you go in Golf Shake and you play around a golf, you track your stats and golf shit you'll be entered into the, the prize draw to win actually i think it's a cobra f8 prize pack that includes a driver and fairway woods and hybrids and also on social media every week if you share your images from the golf course uh practice range working on your game playing golf with the hashtag connect with your game you have a chance to win some a pair of puma ignite uh, power adapt uh, shoes, they spell it in a very odd way, I've got to say, but that's what they do. It's all, all part of the branding, I guess. But um, it's, it's power adapt, I believe. So, yeah, that's, that's all part of this, this month throughout golf shit. You can see it on, obviously, the website and so on, all throughout social media channels as well. We're public, uh, pushing it very heavily. And there's also a series of tips, a tuition series with Andy Carter, looking at uh, how stats and so on can influence your game and obviously different aspects of your golf and your long game, your short game, and how the how you can improve that and really connect with your game uh, for April and get back on the golf course and work on your game and actually make this golf season one of your best yet. Obviously, now we're in April. You know, the weather's getting better. We've had the Masters. It's time to get in place. So, Owen, talk us through connect with your game and what are we hoping that golfers take from it this month? Well, this is really focused in on um, stat tracking. So, obviously, for those of you listening to the podcast that aren't uh, aware of what we do here in the UK on, on Goal Shake and kind of the core products of the site is a stat tracker. Uh, there's a free app you can download on iTunes or uh, the Google Play Store. Um, really designed so you can track your stats, track your scores, um, really identify your strengths and weaknesses. And that plays into uh, what Cobra have been doing with their product over the last couple of years. And I think they really need to be applauded uh, for doing this. They've, uh, they're pushing the boundaries of golf and um, and going in a different direction to a lot of companies. And, it, and they've put, uh, I've been working with Arcos, who uh, create a stat tracking system, you know, using a GPS system in the grip of your club. Um, so you get your club out, you hit your shot, it knows it's that particular club. And you can track your stats um, and find out where you've been on the golf course, identify your strengths and weaknesses uh, and that kind of thing. So we've teamed up with them really to highlight about uh, how stat tracking really can improve your game. A lot of golfers, uh, by identifying their strengths and weaknesses, not quite where they thought they were in the game. Um, often they're a kind of better putter or worse putter than they thought, or it's actually the chipping that's let them down. They can go and work on that part of the game, take those stats to the PGA Pro, say, I'm struggling with this, can we improve it? They do improve it and uh, and lower the handicap as a result. So really what this is all about is trying to get more golfers to be aware of their stats, whether that's using Cobra Connect uh, and the Arcos system they have or the Golf Shake uh, score tracker. Just be aware of what they're doing on the golf course, identify their strengths and weaknesses throughout April, go and see your PGA Pro or go down and do some practice, improve your game um, and uh, hopefully set you up for a great season ahead. So um that's what we're trying to do. That's why we've created this challenge with them. We've got some great prizes to give away. Uh, pretty simple to take part, as you said. Just go on the Goal Shake Score Tracker, add your score. Um, it's free to sign up. Add your score in there, and every time you add a round, you'll be entered into a draw to win a pretty awesome Cobra prize. So um, there's also the videos to help you um, 
uh, where the pro has been looking at his personal stats and then, you know, saying I'm, I've identified a weakness in my driving uh, and given those tips that we can all use, uh, not just him, but all of us to improve our driving. So they're all worth having a look at, uh, worth visiting uh, Goalshake site and checking that out. And uh, where we put the link to this podcast, we'll try and put a link below, certainly when it's on the Goalshake site. Yeah, so, uh, that's the gist of it. There's a lot to enjoy, and yeah, it's a great challenge, and there's a lot there. And I think in the end, the, the really the mantra is is just get out there, everybody, play, track your your game, track your stats. And uh, Cobra Golf obviously has an innovation there that's really quite remarkable as well. And this is a bit of a showcase for that too. But also, really, just the gist of actually analysing your own game and identifying your strengths and weaknesses and then obviously acting on that and it can make such a difference to your game uh, Golf Sheet for years now have had features on the website about golfers who've actually tracked their own stats and have learned about their own game and golfers of all standards can learn from that and I think it's a common frailty and Owen mentioned the putting everybody bemoans their putting all the time but in reality it's the one thing that people amateur golfers do better than most in terms of relative to the professionals on tour is as, look put it this way i can hold a 50 foot putt but i can't hit a 350 drive, yard drive so it's like you can identify your, your strengths and weaknesses there and often it's to to do with the long game that's when most people lose their shots uh, and obviously you can work on that with some really some information and data to back that up so yes get involved with connect with your game throughout april uh, on the golf shape score tracker and also on social media, send us in your, your tweet your tweet or Instagram or Facebook your pictures from the golf course or the range with the hashtag connect with your game and you can win a rather snazzy pair of Puma golf shoes. So Owen, I think that was a pretty comprehensive uh, podcast. We covered it all. It's been it's been good to have yeah. you back. I've missed you. Yeah, I've missed oh, you too, Kieran. And, and you know what everybody it's quite impressive here. He actually almost sounded sincere when he said that. So I'll take the positives from that. You couldn't see my face, obviously. No, no, he's a good actor. He's been doing all these golf shoot videos for years now. He knows how to just talk on camera and also on, on, on the podcast and honed his, uh, his, his Robert De Niro acting skills. But there we are. Mind you, he's more Robert De Niro from the last 20 years rather than the good one, but there we are. But such is life. Anyway, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, again, the message is get back out in the golf course. You've enjoyed the Masters. There's a lot of talking points there, but get back out in the golf course. The golf shoot, we want you to play more and play better, and track your round of stats, and get involved with Connect With Your Game, and also potentially maybe even go and book yourself a, a golf break to uh, the Masters next year with golfbreaks.com. That would be something to look forward to, that's for sure. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>